What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the newest episode of Scoing Long. I'm your host, Zach Neal. On today's podcast, we are going to get into the Pac-12 football schedule that was released on Wednesday morning. Uh, just get into some general notes for the Ducks from the full release. We knew what teams uh, Oregon was playing. We just didn't know the dates of all of the conference games. We knew the non-conference games. We're going to dive deeper into some of the biggest games for the Ducks, look at who has the toughest schedule in the conference. Um, I'm also going to have on Matt Zimmick from USA Today's Trojans Wire to go over the the schedule release and just you know kind of touch on some of the biggest games in the entire conference and and uh give some of our you know our predictions on how things are going to shake out at the end and what some of those biggest matchups are going to be down the road after that we're going to get into some transfer portal news um some nfl draft decisions a little bit of recruiting news um there's really not too much to touch on on that side of everything but um a couple important dates to note and you know after all of that, we are going to finish with the Oregon men's basketball game against California on Wednesday night. A little bit of a peek behind the curtain. I am recording this on Wednesday afternoon right now. That game has not taken place yet. But after uh, the final buzzer tonight, I plan to hop back on, give a few thoughts about the game, you know, win or lose. We'll see what happens. Of course, if you're listening right now, you probably already know what happens. So we've got a fun one for you. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it. It is Wednesday afternoon at about 3 p.m. Pacific time. Let's go ahead and jump right into the Oregon schedule release. Um, they It came out on Wednesday morning. We knew that the non-conference uh, games were going to be against Portland State at Texas Tech and versus Hawaii. Uh, we knew the opponents for the rest of the for Oregon's schedule as well, but we finally know what dates and what week they're going to come in. So real quick, uh, before I get into it, let me just run down the, the list of teams in order that we play them. Week four, it's versus Colorado Buffaloes. Then it's at Stanford. You get a bye week there right before a trip up to Seattle to take on the Washington Huskies. Big game. Uh, Washington State at home. Utah on the road. Cal at home. USC at home. Arizona State on the road. And then Oregon State at home. So um, instant takeaways, you know, it's it's not that bad of a schedule. I mean, I, I think it really shakes out in a, a really nice way, even a few spots for Oregon. The second half of that is brutal, though. Uh, I mean, you look at look, after the bye week in week six, take away the games in front of that. You get at Washington versus Washington State at Utah, three games right out of the bye week. Those are three tough games. And I mean, if Oregon's not careful, those are three games that, you know, you those are definitely losable games if you're not ready for it. Versus USC at Arizona State versus Oregon State to close. You know, those are another three three tough games on the schedule. Arizona State, not so much, but that's kind of a trap game. Um, I don't. We don't really know what Kenny Dillingham's program is going to look like. There's a chance they're really good. I, I don't know if I want to say really good. Um, there's a chance that they are someone that can make some noise in the conference. Uh, we've seen his offense. We know that he's got some talented players on offense this year. Uh, I don't think they're going to be, you know, contending for a Pac-12 championship or even, I honestly don't think they're going to be bowl eligible this year. But if you sandwich that game in between USC and Oregon State, that's something that you might overlook because uh, if the Ducks are in the right position, that game against Oregon State could be to get into the Pac-12 championship. And um, there may be a lot of eyes 
looking ahead and not really thinking about Arizona State as much as they should be. But I don't really think that's going to be a problem, one, because of the whole Kenny Dillingham factor. I mean, the fact that he is down in Tempe now and he, the fact that he left the Ducks, you know, minutes, hours after the Oregon State game this last year, I think a lot of people are going to want to go, uh, go down there and kind of say, you know, we're happy for you. Happy you got the head job. Happy you're at your alma mater and got your dream job. But, you know, this is still what you left. And they are not going to – I don't know that there's going to be much love lost in that uh, in that game, which is kind of good because that's not really a, a classic rival for Oregon in the Pac-12. It hasn't been against Arizona State. Um, so if there's some, some heat in that matchup now and there's some rivalry there, I think that's great. Another one that really caught my eye is the the conference opener versus Colorado. I think it's obvious that the Pac-12 did a really good job of kind of playing towards TV ratings and TV getting eyeballs. Uh, I'm going to talk to Matt Zimmick about that a little bit later. But, you know, you got Oregon Colorado first week of Pac-12 play. You get Colorado against USC the second week of Pac-12 play. It's clear that, you know, Regardless of how good Colorado is this year, they're going to be interesting. I mean, they've got Deion Sanders there. They've got Shadur Sanders. They're going to be a lot of fun to watch, and it, it could be a beautiful train wreck, or they could be actually, you know, fringe contenders in the Pac-12. I think that – I don't think they're going to be fighting for a Pac-12 championship spot. I don't think – I think they'd be doing outstanding to get to eight wins after winning going 1-11 last season. But there's a chance that they can compete for a bowl game if they are as good as – their ceiling is right now and if some of those transfers can come in and make an instant impact you know that's going to be a fun game and we're going to find out pretty early on because like I said Oregon and USC their first two conference games they also have uh, I believe it's TCU week one Uh, I forget who they have week three but um, there's there's a chance that that one against Colorado in Eugene that's gonna be a fun one to watch I've got an article coming out on Thursday morning that's kind of ranking the the toughest and easiest games on Oregon's schedule. And I don't want to step on that too much, but I'm going to go through the top six for you. There's kind of tiers of difficulty as far as games go for, for Oregon this year. In my mind, I think that the two toughest games are at Washington and versus USC. Uh, that's kind of a toss-up on which one's tougher, but the fact that Washington comes on the road... Um, that's not to say that the USC game will be easy by by any means, but um, the fact that Oregon has to go up to Seattle and take on that Washington team, which expects I expect them to be really good. I know I talked about that last podcast. You know, Washington, USC, Utah, Oregon State; those are all going to be very, very good teams. Uh, so I've got Washington number one versus USC number two. I I struggled with the three and four ranking. I think that. First, Oregon State and at Utah are those two. Um, If you want to put Oregon State ahead of Utah, I'm fine with it. If you want to put Utah ahead of Oregon State, um, I I honestly put Utah number three because they're traveling to Utah. They get Oregon State at home. But, you know, looking at the front half of Utah's schedule, I could see them being not at full potential for this game, Um, you know, Oregon gets them. When do they get them? It's the middle of the second half of the season. But Utah's early schedule, they play Florida, BYU, UCLA, Oregon State, USC. 
and Oregon gets them the week after they play USC. So that could be a huge benefit for the Ducks. I'm really interested to see how good Utah is this year because they lost a few key players on both offense and defense. They've got a really tough first half of the schedule, and they've got one of the tougher schedules in the conference, I believe. I'm going to get to that soon. But um, just to continue on with Oregon's toughest games, I think that before you get into the bottom half, the the relatively quote-unquote easy games. I don't want to call them easy because they're all all tough games in this conference and they're all must-win games, but a game that I think most people are looking past is Texas Tech in Week 2. you got to travel down to Lubbock and play what's expected to be a top 25 Texas Tech team. They've got uh, good old Tyler Shuck. Oregon fans know him well. He's their quarterback now. He's he's coming back for one more year. That's going to be a really fun game, and it, it kind of reminds me of the BYU game from this past year where it's a a really good test for Oregon early in the season against someone that they should beat. I think that they, they're they going to get tested in that. It won't be an easy win by any means. It's a game I think they should win if they're as good as we think they can be, but uh, it's going to be a really, really solid early road test for this team. And then the last, uh, the number six game on the, the schedule is uh, Washington State for me. I think that they're a really good team. They've got a really good defense, and it's depending on how good Cameron Ward is this year. Um, if he can take a, a step up and, and be even better than he was last year, I think the Cougars could be something to mess with. A few overall takeaways when looking at the entire Pac-12 schedule, not just the Ducks, but looking at USC's schedule, Utah's schedule, Washington, Oregon State, those guys. Um, there's a few things that stood out to me. Number one, November 11th is going to be the day of the year in the Pac-12. That's when you get Oregon traveling up to Washington for that game. You get USC facing off with Utah. That's going to be a lot of fun, and that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, where the it seemed like the Pac-12 really, they they leaned into wanting to drive up the ratings. They wanted eyeballs, if that makes sense. They wanted these showcase games where you've got four of the best teams in the conference all playing each other in early November when we're talking about college football playoff rankings. We're talking about who's getting into the Pac-12 championship. The outcome of those two games, I guarantee you, is going to play a major factor in who gets to Vegas at the at the start of December. And is probably going to be, there's a chance that it's between four top 15 teams, maybe a couple of top 10 teams. That's going to be maybe the day of the year in the Pac-12. What's really nice is that Oregon and Washington have buys before that game. I mean, they get a chance to, you know, really, really get rested and get into shape and make sure that they are at full health or as close to full health as they can be going into one of the biggest games of the year and one that you know speaking as an Oregon fan and someone that knows Oregon fans well really may be the number one game of the year to win next year I know a lot of people will say Oregon State too but you know if you if you were to rank the rivalries for the Ducks it's pretty close between Washington and Oregon State and I think a lot of people must say Washington too so um, I, I like the fact that both teams get a bye. Um, there's going to be no griping on either end there. I like the fact that both teams get a chance to, you know, get healthy and spend some extra time preparing for this one because it really is going to mean a lot. Another thing that stood out to me is USC gets a bye in week 13, which is actually the week before the Pac-12 championship. Seems very strange to me. Seems odd. I... I read that it's because they played a, a week zero game, which allows them to have two buys on the year. So that means in week three, they get a bye week after playing Stanford play before playing Arizona State. And then, yeah, in week 13, that's a tough one. Um, I'm just, I don't know. There's 
no guarantee that USC is going to even be playing in the Pac-12 championship. So um, I don't know that everyone should be, you know, making hay about this right now. But if we get to the end of the year and USC is has that spot in Las Vegas and they get a bye before that game when the other team, I mean, who knows? It could be Oregon or Oregon State playing on a Friday uh, before the game. They're playing on a Black Friday. So I, I can just see this turning into an issue. Um, I'm just, I want to bookmark it right now because I know there's a chance a lot of people don't like USC. And with USC getting a bye before, you know, the conference championship game and maybe a chance to get into the college football playoff, that it could raise some issues down the line. So when looking at Oregon's schedule and talking about the hardest games, obviously you're going to look at USC, you're going to look at Utah, you're going to look at Oregon State, and you're going to look at Washington. Those are the big four. Those are the ones that if you win three out of four of those games, two out of four of those games, you've got a really good chance to get into the Pac-12 championship and you know really make some noise down the end of the stretch. Um, I wanted to look past those games. I took those four games off the table, and I wanted to see what do I think are the toughest games on the schedule there that are not those four teams. In my mind, it comes down to Texas Tech, comes down to Colorado, Washington State, and Arizona State. Texas Tech, I already mentioned a little bit, they're a really, really good team. They've got Tyler Shuck coming uh, coming back for them. you got to travel down to Lubbock. Texas Tech expect to be a top 25 team. That's an early season game that's going to be a litmus test for, for this Oregon team. We're going to see how good they really are. It reminds me a lot of that BYU game from last year. Colorado, we don't know what they're going to be. They could be really good. They could be a little bit better than last year where they went 1-11. I expect them to be a lot better. Um, but that's it's just going to be that's going to be an entertaining game and one that I think is going to be really important to win because there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on it. Uh, Washington State, I mentioned a little bit, really good defense. Their quarterback, if he can step up, Cam Ward, he can be really good and he can make some noise in the Pac-12. But uh, I'm not sure. You know, they they feel like that same kind of spot that Washington State always in where they can make some noise in the conference. They could be giant killers. I'm not sure they have what it takes to get to the Pac-12 championship yet and, uh, you know, finally reach that finish line. They're close, but, you know, maybe maybe Jake Dickert's the person to get them there. I, I can't tell. And then Arizona State, yes, that's a – I don't know how tough of a game it's going to be. It's going to be a fun game, though, uh, for all the, the storylines I mentioned earlier, Kenny Dillingham – uh, going down to Tempe, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's late in the season. Like I mentioned, it's it's sandwiched in between Oregon State and USC. Uh, it's a potential trap game, one that Duck fans are going to be excited for, one that the Ducks cannot overlook. So um, outside of the, the big four games, those are my four toughest games, I would say. Along with my article on Thursday about Oregon's toughest games, I'm actually taking a look at the toughest schedules in the Pac-12 as well. I mean, which team has the toughest schedule? That's not maybe because of the opponents on the schedule, but the, the order in which those games are played. When does your bye week come? Who do you play before the bye, after the bye? Things like that. So again, I don't want to step on the article too much, but I'm going to give you my top five here. Um, if you want to see the full the full ranking, go to duckswire.usatoday.com, but... My top five toughest schedules starting from one is Washington, USC, Colorado, Utah, and then Oregon. Uh, Washington's got a, a brutal stretch here. They start out with Boise State, who, you know, they're not maybe the Boise State of old, but they're still a good team. Andy Avalos has that team playing really well, and they they could give yeah, they could give Washington some trouble to right out of the gates. That could be fun to watch. Two weeks later, they play at Michigan State, which, you know, 
Michigan State, of course, is not what they were a few years ago either, but it's still a Big Ten school. That's still a, a really, really good game. I'm excited to see what they can do there. And then you look at the way that Washington ends the year. You've got, in week seven, you've got Oregon, and then a couple of, of you know, games against Arizona State and Stanford in between the, the real stretch run of their schedule. But you look at their November, they've got at USC, home for Utah, at Oregon State, and home for Washington State. That is a tough close to the schedule. Um, it feels like, you know, November is either going to make or break Washington. There's a chance that they split those games, and they're probably out of Pac-12 contention. I'm not sure. Um, but no matter what, if they if they can make a run through that last four games, they're going to be in a really good spot when it comes to getting to the conference championship. USC, I know I talked about the the week 13 bye week earlier, but you know their their end of the schedule is not easy either. It's it's kind of a theme in the Pac-12. It seems like the when I talk about the Big Four, the Big Five teams, it feels like the front half of their schedule is relatively easy, and then the back half they have their bye. Then they start playing everybody. They start playing each other in that month of November and really making a push for the college football playoff, conference championship, whatever you want to, to call the ceiling for this conference. But USC in, uh, in week seven, they start with Notre Dame. Then they go Utah, Cal, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, and then that bye before the Pac-12 championship. That's, uh, those are some tough games. I know that's, that's not going to be easy for them to do. Colorado, they may not be one of the big schools, but I've, I'm impressed with the the difficulty of the schedule because you look at their non-conference. They've got they start the game or they start the season off with TCU, then they play Nebraska. Two weeks later, they play Oregon. Week after that, they play USC. Week nine, UCLA. Week ten, Oregon State. They close it out week thirteen with Utah. Those are those are a lot of really tough games. I can't wait to see what Deion Sanders does in this conference because if he can if he can become bowl eligible we can easily say that he earned it. He's playing some of the best teams in the conference, and if they can even win a couple of those, it was absolutely a successful year for him. Utah's schedule is pretty tough as well. It starts out a uh, non-conference game against Florida, non-conference against Baylor. They play UCLA and Oregon State in back-to-back -back weeks. They play USC and Oregon in back-to-back -back weeks. I know the Ducks are a little bit lucky that they get Utah the week after they play at USC. Um, then they close it out with Washington, Arizona, and Colorado. Not the not the toughest stretch down the you know not the toughest final three games, unless you know Colorado is some magical Cinderella team in the Pac-12 this year, which I don't really see happening. But there's a few tough back-to-back -back games. Like I said, that UCLA and Oregon State that'll be a tough one to get two wins in. That USC and Oregon game uh, down what is it week eight, week nine. That's those are tough back-to-back -back games. I'm just I I'm happy that the Ducks go after USC because it felt like last year. I know I was talking to Shane and JD about this on the Flock Pod. It feels like Oregon always got a team right before USC got them. Like the Ducks would always play someone and really get the most out of them, and and you know they might have been a little bit banged up and they might have been exhausted from playing a team like Oregon, and then USC would come in the next week and and be able to play them and and be able to take advantage of some of that. All right, let's take a quick break, and I'm going to bring in Matt Zimmick from Trojan's Wire to talk more about the schedule. All right, I'm excited to bring in Matt Zimmick to join me and go over the Pac-12 schedule release. You can check him out at Matt Zimmick on Twitter and all of his great work at USA Today's Trojan's Wire. That's at Trojan's Wire on Twitter. Matt, how are we doing? 
fired up about this Pac-12 football schedule, let me tell you. Yeah, it feels kind of like it was Christmas morning in the Pac-12, right? Uh, we we knew what opponents everybody had. We just didn't really know the order in which they were going to come. And so that, you know, getting that order, getting when those bye weeks are, uh, that's really important because now we can finally actually parse out the entire season, see who gets a good matchup when, who goes where, who gets a notorious bye week in week 13 right before the Pac-12 championship, stuff like that. So I'm curious what some of your instant takeaways were. Okay, so you know, I edit a USC site, and people are gonna say, "Ah, oh, you're just such a USC homer." But let's let's be realistic about this. And 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 first off, like if you're George Klyavkov, you will want to be more generous to Oregon and Washington, right? Just 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 in terms of the politics, you would want Correct. to throw a bone to the teams that are staying in your conference and not to the ones that are leaving. So, like, it's not as though George Klyavkov's an idiot for smoothing the path for Oregon and Washington by giving them both an off week before their big meeting. USC doesn't have an off week before playing Washington or Oregon. USC has to play Washington and Oregon back-to-back. And here, But here's, like, that's not the worst part of this for USC. The worst part is... You know, in odd-numbered years, USC has to play Notre Dame in South Bend in mid-October, all right? So, like, if you're a USC fan, and I'm looking at this, obviously, from a USC vantage point because I need to represent the USC point of view here, the one thing, the one thing USC wanted out of this schedule was don't give us a top-tier Pac-12 opponent, you know, Utah, Washington, Oregon. (laughs) Don't give us one of those three opponents – either the week before or the week right after Notre Dame. Well, well you got it. Well, gave, gave him Utah <laughs> the week after Notre Dame. So that was the flip the bird moment. And that, that's, that's really the centerpiece of why the Pac-12, you know, shoved USC out the door, you know, angrily and didn't give USC, you know, a, a decent shake. Like, I look, I get the backloaded schedule. You want the prime TV games in the second half of the season, like, that's fine, all right? I get that, but having Utah right after Notre Dame, like, that that's just an intentional, oh, yep, you want to win our title? We're going to make it hard on you uh, at USC before you go on off to the Big Ten, you traitors. So well, yeah, that, that, and like that you, seemed like, like the you unforced said. air and the, the intentional display of adios, adios, Trojans. And like you said, it's not just the Notre Dame into Utah. Then it's, you know, a game against Cal and then Washington followed by Oregon. So, yeah, that's that's definitely a little bit tough. But we talked a little bit earlier. One of my instant takeaways for this is the Pac-12, it feels like, is really going after the TV ratings here. Like you said, the backloaded no schedule. I mean, Oregon, Washington, Utah, USC, Oregon State, they all play in the second half of the season when those primetime games are out and the and the college football playoff rankings are out. But then you look at the start of the season, too. I mean, Colorado versus uh, Oregon in week four, the opening week, the Pac-12 schedule, then Colorado versus USC week five. That's before, it's before I think the shine has really come off Colorado yet. I don't know. We kind of think they're still going to be fun and fun to watch then. Um, and then you get... November 11th is just going to be an incredible day in the Pac-12. You get Oregon-Washington, you get USC-Utah. Um, I'm just curious what you think about the fact that US or that the Pac-12 is kind of just leaning into this fact that, hey, we're still really important out here on the West Coast. No one really watches us, but uh, I'm just curious what you think about that. 
Yeah, and I mean, and this is also smart by George Klyavkov that you do want to get Deion Sanders against your prime programs, Oregon and USC, early in the season when there's going to be a lot of interest. And yeah, like, like Colorado's not going to suck this this upcoming season. It's not going to be great, but it's not going to be terrible. So you want to showcase Coach Prime, Colorado, uh, er, earlier, you know, against your marquee opponents, and then you can have you know the big boys playing uh, in November. So like that all makes sense. And of course, Zach, you you're well aware, like George Klyavkov has not finalized a media rights deal, so he would naturally want to put forth a schedule which is going to showcase the very best of the Pac-12 later in the year to get the, as much ratings as possible. And to and like so he might be able to tell Jeff Bezos, or he might be able to tell Apple right here, look at this prime quality that we're <laughs> dishing out late in the season. These are going to be major epic games uh, that, that, you know, at least one or two of them is going to have college football playoff ramifications like this is the quality product you want to uh join up with and get a digital streaming deal like so like it makes sense like that that all of that is rational and george klyavkov is playing the politics of this and he's playing the economics of this um but you just to touch on why you know usc fans are going to be upset and why some other fans are going to be upset by this is that you know in december mid-december uh, Merton Hanks, you know, who's the football ops guy helping Klyavkov with the Pac-12, you know, former San Francisco 49ers star. Um, so he told John Wilner, like, I don't want to get into a situation where we're giving, like, Washington a, a week off before the Apple Cup and Washington State's having to play a tough game or something like that. Like, he said, I don't want to put teams in these imbalanced situations. And then you know, what does he do? He puts Utah after Notre Dame for USC. Like he was, he was full of it. He was just saying that to Wilner to appease him. He didn't back it up. You know, he didn't back. And, and Zach, I mean, like not only does Oregon get an off week before Washington, but the other thing you're well aware of is that when Oregon uh, plays Utah, Utah's ha- will have played USC the week yeah. earlier. I mean, that is a smooth lead-in for the Ducks. So, like, George Klyavkov, like, he made this schedule with Daddy Phil Knight in mind. Like, he wanted to make nice to Phil Knight here. Like, Phil, this is my gift to you. Phil, please be happy in the Pac-12. Phil, th- this is my best effort to, to smooth the path for you up up there in Eugene, up there at Nike. Like, th- this is George Klyavkov being a savvy politician. So like, like I don't really blame him for it, but like he's, he's clearly making the best effort to smooth the path for Oregon and Washington to say, Hey, you want to stay here in the PAC 12. You do not want to leave for the big 10. You want to have a home here. We're going to make things as comfortable for you as possible. I mean, that that's part of the politics of this. And if anyone wants to deny it, like, you know, I will argue that all day and twice on Sunday. Will it work? We will see. <laughs> that work. is to be determined but in a Klyavkov couple of years. certainly made the effort. Yes, Klyavkov he is certainly trying made the hard. Effort, and that's to, transparent to here. And no one that. should be debating that. No one no, should be debating I'm, that. I'm not against you there. So I was um, I was just looking at you know all of the, the schedules throughout the conference, and I was kind of in my head just ranking who I thought had the toughest schedule, who had the easiest schedule. And I, I'm not sure if you did the same, but just these are my top five 
Uh, I've got Washington with the toughest, USC, Utah, Colorado, and then Oregon. Um, does Do any of those stand out to you? Do you have any opinion on that? That seems pretty fair. I mean, you know, I think Utah, along with USC, got a particularly uh, difficult arrangement because, you know, you'll notice there are two different double stacks for Utah. One is you play UCLA, and then you have to go to Corvallis on a Friday, a tough one. short week, uh, right after the UCLA game. So, like, that is yep. some Larry Scott BS right there. <laughs> like that, that's, that's what Larry Scott used to do to USC. Like, you might remember that several years ago, you know, USC played Texas in a big Saturday night game early in the season. I think that was when Sam Darnold was was on the Trojans. And then Larry mm-hmm. Scott puts USC on a plane to Pullman for a Friday night game the week after. And, of course, USC <laughs> loses. You know, Of course, like, it's just, Pullman. Just the kind of BS that, you know, would never happen to Alabama in the SEC, would never happen no. to Ohio State in the Big Ten, would never happen to Oklahoma in the Big 12. But, oh, Larry Scott just put USC in a position to fail. So Utah – as reigning Pac-12 champion gets treated yeah. like that, like that, that's appalling. Yeah. And then, that's as tough. mentioned earlier, Utah has a USC-Oregon double stack. And so playing yep. Oregon one week after playing USC, come on, come on. You, re- you really shouldn't be stacking the deck for Daddy Phil, but, th- but hey, that's As the writer of an Oregon site, I have no problems with this. I see zero I issue with any of this. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't. I know you don't. All right, so your three biggest USC games. Go. What are they? The three biggest on the schedule that you are circling right now. Well, you know, so Notre Dame's kind of in a separate box because it's college football playoff, but in the Pac-12, it's Utah, Washington, Oregon. And I put Utah first, not not just okay. because it is the first sequentially on the schedule, but because it's first sequentially, what that means is, you know, if USC can bat, bank that win over Utah – on October 21st, then realistically, just you know, applying this out analytically, USC can then look at that Washington-Oregon double stack and say, hey, if we split, we're in Vegas, and then because we get the bye on Thanksgiving weekend, you know, then we are set up to win the Pac-12. So it, for USC, it's a, it's a two-pronged situation. I think the schedule is not very conducive to getting to the college football playoff. Like, that, like Notre Dame, Utah, in back-to-back weeks, and then Washington, Oregon, in back-to-back weeks. Like, the chances of USC losing twice are pretty good. Like, the defense mm-hmm. is not there yet. They don't have the bodies. But you've got depth. Alex Grinch back. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we won't talk about him unless you force okay. me to talk about no, him. No, we're good. Uh, we're good. We can move on. But, 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 you know, so two really rough back-to-backs, and so USC – you know, there's a good chance that USC loses twice. But, you know, if the, if Notre Dame is one of those two losses and USC goes 8-1 and one in the Pac-12, like if you go 8-1 and one in the Pac-12, you're going to be in the conference championship game. And so if USC, let's say USC loses to Notre Dame, but it beats Utah the week after, uh, then you're looking at a situation where if, you, if USC splits the Washington-Oregon pair, it will almost certainly be 8-1. and one and go to Vegas. And again, that, and so let's deal with that bye week. So a lot of the people who hate USC <laughs> are saying, oh, USC gets this amazing vintage with the bye week. But if the thing is, USC has to get to Las Vegas in order for that bye to exist. And, and the bye exists, or the off week, I should say, 
um, it exists after USC's played 12 games. You know, the Pac-12 mm-hmm. title game is a 13th game. So in terms of the in terms of a 12-game schedule block, USC has only one off week. So people are <laughs> saying two two off weeks, two off weeks. Not not in terms of the regular 12-game schedule. So people are are going overboard and saying, look how cushy an arrangement USC has. Mm-hmm. Well, USC has to play nine straight games after that early season off week. Uh, you know, games games four, four through twelve are going to be played in a row. That is a tough road. If the Pac-12 wanted to really make things easier for USC, it would have had uh, you know a, a, an off week. You know, early November, give USC yeah. a chance to decompress and then gear up for a final two game, maybe three game finishing kick. But this is not like red carpet treatment. Like USC is going to have to play nine games in a row without any break, that's not, you know, a cushy situation. So, you know, pe- people, are, I think, are leaning into, you know, the anti-USC animus, which, you know, we accept this. It's Lincoln Riley. He's a target. I, I get it. But the, the, the value of that uh, off week, you know, it's conditional. It's not automatic. It's not inherent uh, the way it would be if it was in the middle of the season in late October or early November. That, that is a very big difference to make. You know what? I've uh, I've just got to applaud you because it feels like you are you are just so prepared to take on all of the the Twitter haters and win all of these arguments. I was a, you know you almost convinced me that that bye week in week thirteen is meaningless. <laughs> almost. almost. Um, all right, one more question: the three biggest non USC games, in your opinion, what three do you have circled that you're just incredibly excited to watch for entertainment value or because they are going to be so important for the the Pac-12 race? Yeah, not not a lot of guesswork here. I mean, Utah, Washington, which is you know, you and I are going to be covering USC, Oregon on November 11th, but you also have Can't the wait. Utah, Washington showdown that day. So that's going to be the new showdown Saturday, akin to what we had November 19th with USC, UCLA, and Utah, Oregon. You know, both on that day. So Utah, Washington, of course, and then also Utah, uh, you know, playing playing Oregon again. Um, you know, that, that, that was a knockdown dragout game last year. Would expect the same uh, this year. And then, of course, Oregon-Washington and uh, the Ducks trying to avenge what happened in Autzen last season. But, like, you know, the bigger reality, Zach, as you're well aware of, is that the Pac-12 it enters an, a college football offseason with positive buzz. Like, that's a very rare thing. Yeah. And the other thing is the Pac-12 face planted in the bowls. Like the yeah. the elite oh. teams, you know, USC blew that fifteen point <laughs> lead. Uh, U- Utah just gets run out of the building by Penn State, and yet the the off season buzz is still positive. Like that's crazy. That is yeah, objectively pretty crazy. Incredible. Imagine coming up with that scenario. But that oh. it speaks to you know you 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 know this as well as I do that the elite teams in the Pac twelve they're running it back. They're, they got they mm-hmm. retained. So many of their high-end players, especially at quarterback, you know, all four, Washington, Utah, Oregon, USC, all coming back with veteran quarterbacks. This is going to be a fun year. There are going to be so many 41-38 type games going down to the last minute. It's going to be extremely fun. And maybe USC is going to lose. But just objectively, it's going to be a very, very fun year in the conference. Uh, It's it's hard to remember a year. when in the off season there was so much positive publicity 
and hype surrounding Pac-12 football. It's been a very, very long time. Well, and it, it makes our jobs so much easier because people want to read about football. They want to read about Pac-12 football right now. And it's like, okay, you want to read it? I will happily talk about it. But I talked to – go ahead. And they sure don't want to read about Pac-12 basketball right now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, why would you? I talked earlier in the week on the podcast about the fact that there's kind of two tiers at the top of the, the Pac-12. You've got USC, Washington, and Oregon in, in a tier of their own. And then you've got Utah and Oregon State kind of in that second tier that I, I think they can make some noise. Utah more so than, than Oregon State. And if you want to go further, I'd get Washington State and UCLA in there. How much do you think we're going to hear from Oregon State and UCLA and Washington State this year? Do you think they're going to play a major factor in the race for the Pac-12 championship? Because we've just talked for you know 20 minutes and we're not really talking too much about those teams. But that doesn't mean they're not good because I think they'd be really good. This is just a super top-heavy Pac-12. Yeah, so you know, Oregon State is such a fascinating story this year, right? Because not not only you know have, did Oregon State basically win ten games this past season without a quarterback, you know, without a functional quarterback, you know, making that comeback against your Ducks without throwing a forward <sighs> pass. Um, but the other <laughs> thirty-seven <is>, straight runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the other thing is that, of course, DJ Uyangalale. You know, he came from Southern California, from St. John Bosco, and so he left USC's backyard. And, of course, Bryce Young uh, left USC's backyard. C.J. Stroud left USC's backyard. And, and so, you know, before Caleb Williams came in, D.J. Uyangalele was part of a larger storyline under Clay Helton that USC couldn't retain elite talent, especially at the skill positions. So, like, that was a sore spot for USC when he was successfully recruited by Clemson, you know, as part of US, Clay Helton's inability to keep elite talent at home. But then, you know, what's happened? What's happened, as you well know, is that Uyangalele had the throwing yips. You know, he had the Chuck Knobloch, Rick Ankeel, you know, just can't throw <laughs> it over the plate uh, syndrome. And so Jonathan Smith, you know, many people are saying he's betting on Uyangalele. No, my point of emphasis is, Jonathan Smith is betting on himself. He's saying, yeah. I can fix this guy. I can make this guy right. I can line everything together. And, you know, let's keep in mind that the Pac-12's last college football playoff team was quarterbacked by Jake Browning, whom no, no one <laughs> yeah. would call a, an elite quarterback. I mean, he was nope. good, you know. He was capable. He was competent. But no one would say he was elite. And who was his offensive coordinator? Jonathan Smith under Chris Peterson on the 2016 Washington coaching staff. So this is this is Jonathan Smith saying, "I, I can fix this. I have the solution." Uh, so um, if if Jonathan Smith betting on himself really more than anything else uh, can win this big bet, you know, then Oregon State could get to the Pac-12 championship game, and and then the Beavers can say, "Hey, look." We're right there with USC. We're right there with Oregon. We're right there with Washington and Utah. And the Beavers could really just take the next step as a program. So, like, I'm not expecting this to happen. But, like, if John Smith wins this bet, it's, it would be a, a win against the odds. But if he can win that big bet on himself, then, then like, he'll be able to sell, hey, I fixed DJ Uyangole's throwing yips. And what a recruiting tool that would be so like 
Like, I wouldn't, I'm not picking Oregon State in the Pac-12 this season, but, like, if the Beavers can exceed expectations, that program could really, really take off, especially with USC out of the mix uh, in 2024 and beyond. Well, and it feels like we're going to learn pretty early on in their season how for real they are. I mean, their their Pac-12 slate opens up with Washington State, which is going to be a really good game. I think it's a, that's an underrated potential game of the year because like, I, I'm really excited to see what Washington State can do, too. They're, they might look really good under Cameron Ward. Then they got Utah two weeks later, UCLA. Uh, we're going to learn pretty early about how good Oregon State is, so... Uh, listen, Matt, I want to thank you for, for coming on and talking Pac-12 football with me. I know it's always a pleasure. Um, I really wanted to thank you, too, for, I mean, you've been, you were one of the, the trailblazers for the USA Today College Wire sites. I joined you as the, the second Pac-12 site, and you've always been, been very helpful to me in kind of lending a helping hand and bringing me on your podcast as well. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on and giving me the time. Zach, you're great at what you do. Keep uh, crushing it at Duckswire with Don Smalley and Andy Patton and, uh, um, you know, we're going to have you on our podcast. And of course, we're certainly going to do some uh, Pac-12 football listicles in the very near future, I think. Yes, there will be a lot of those to come, I'm sure. Okay, we've got a couple of quick notes on the uh, on some transfer portal news and an underrated NFL draft decision, uh, in my opinion. I'm going to start there. I spoke to, to Oregon kicker Camden Lewis yesterday. I've got a, a pretty decent relationship with him we we actually just text and and talk about golf a lot but um he was someone who i think most people expected to return he's got one more year of eligibility um if he wants it with oregon and we were we were texting about golf yesterday and i asked him i was like you're you're coming back right you're coming back for another year he's like yeah of course i am i've got a master's degree to finish up of course i'm coming back i got one more year of eligibility i was like do you mind if i report that i think people would be interested to know and he's like yeah, I mean, I, I figured it was known, but but yeah, go ahead and report that. And I did, and it's safe to say that a lot of Oregon fans were very, very happy on Twitter and on social media. I think that um, Camden has had such an interesting and such a cool career as a Duck. I mean, his his career started out rough. I mean, he played a few games in his first two seasons, and, and he ended up getting benched for Henry Cattleman because he just he couldn't hit field goals. He was missing a lot. Um, but he... In those instances, you usually see a lot of players say, hey, I lost my starting job. I'm going to go into the transfer portal and find another school and, and try again somewhere else. Camden stuck it out, and he stayed in Eugene, and he actually won his starting job back going into the 2021 season. Um, and he's been rock solid as a kicker for the Ducks since then. I mean, in his career, he's 191 for 194 on extra points. Uh, his career, he's 37 for 50 from field goal. But if you take just his last two years when he won his starting job back, he's 27 for 32. Um, and he's coming back for one more year, which I think is is really commendable, really impressive. And it's big news for the Ducks because, you know, as a lot of recruiting heads would know, Oregon is bringing in Grant Mador's, uh a true freshman in 2023, who's, who's rated as the number one kicker in the nation uh, per Chris Saylor kicking, which, you know, kicker recruiting is always a little bit up in the air because people, I mean, Two four seven sports isn't isn't rating them on three isn't rating them so it's it's you never really know how good these kids are but this kid obviously is talented um, and he's got a future at Oregon but rather than the Ducks having to throw him out there as a true freshman next year and rely on him in a potential you know Pac twelve championship year college football playoff year 
the Ducks now have, you know, one of the best kickers that they've had coming back for his fifth season in Oregon. And I think that could be invaluable. I mean, I, I know that uh, Oregon fans are going to feel a lot more confident next year knowing that, you know, if they need a field goal late in the game, they've got Camden Lewis trotting out there to, to give it a go. Um, I know that that brings a lot more confidence than than saying a true freshman's going out there to try it with the game on the line. And that's no disrespect to Grant. I think he's going to be a great kicker down the road. He's obviously talented, but um, that's just a little bit. There's some extra pressure there, and I, I think it's very, really comforting for Duck fans to know that they've got Camden coming back for one more year. Okay, a little bit of transfer news. Uh, we had defensive lineman Keanu Williams and wide receiver Caleb Chapman enter the portal over the last few days. Um, these are these are the ones that we kind of expected because they weren't super rotation guys. They weren't on the field a ton. Um, Caleb Chapman came just for one season at Oregon. He played in nine games. Technically, he had one catch for 15 yards. Keanu Williams, you know, a rotation player throughout his time at Oregon, but... This is important because it, it gets the Ducks closer to that number of 85, the scholarship number that we talked about. I think that was last week on, the, on an episode, but um, I don't know the exact math right now. I believe Oregon is at 92 scholarships right now, but it's likely going to stick at that number for a while because um, important date to note, I believe it's today, January 18th, the transfer portal closes. So uh, players can no longer after today enter the transfer portal. Um, until it opens back up on May 1st, which is after spring football. Um, we There's a chance that you still may see a couple of names enter the portal over the next couple of days because there's some 24- to 48-hour period where the paperwork has to go through, so there could be some late additions. But um, for the most part, this is the team that Oregon is going to have going into spring football. Um, kids can still... People who are already in the transfer portal can still commit over the next few um, over the next few months, next few weeks, I should say. But you know, going into spring football, I'm I'm excited about where this Oregon roster stands because yes, they're over the limit, but they've got a ton of really really quality key pieces on that roster, and they're going to go into spring football and they're going to look to be competitive and they're going to try and win those starting jobs. They're kind of going to try and prove that they've got a spot on this roster. And, you know, I think the team's going to be better for it. The guys that are going to win out, stay. If you don't win, if you don't like where you are on the depth chart, don't get in the top two or three or maybe the starting spot. You can enter the transfer portal and, and look for a new home. But I think that this is this more than many is going to be one of the most competitive eras. I shouldn't say era, but in competitive time with spring football. Um, we've seen it a long time in Oregon, and I just I can't wait to cover it. I, I wish it was here next week. I'm just really excited for this season. One more thing, the uh, the Polynesian Bowl kicks off on Friday night. I know for Oregon fans hoping to get a glimpse of future players, they can tune into the Polynesian Bowl. It's a high school uh, football showcase on Friday night. It airs at 6 p.m. Pacific time on NFL Network. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of big-name ducks in there. Mateo Uyunglele, five-star edge rusher, four-star Jaden Lamar, four-star uh, safety Cody, Cody Cambra. Um, those are just a, a few of the, the mini ducks that are playing in this game. And there's also a lot of five stars out there too. I mean, five star tight end Deuce Robinson, who is still up in the air. He's not committed yet. He was, an article came out yesterday that he's still considering, a taking a visit to Oregon, an official visit to Oregon, which would have to be next week because signing day on February 1st. So he's going to make his announcement on February 1st. Um, and then just another recruiting, there's not really much recruiting news to get to other than just still looking at, 
at Nicholas Harbor um, and that uno- that official visit to Eugene next weekend. Um, I know that Dan Lanning was in on an in-home visit with Nicholas, I believe it was yesterday, yeah, Tuesday, over in D.C. I know that um, a lot of the Oregon coaching staff is down in Texas right now recruiting. Um, it's just it's all signs are pointing towards next week being pretty, pretty eventful for Oregon. Uh, Nicholas Harbor's topping that queue. Could get some noise with Deuce Robinson. That could be interesting, um, but I, it's just something to, to keep your ears open for. A couple of other small notes. Uh, news came out today that Adrian Klim, Oregon's offensive line coach, is in line to be interviewed for the New England Patriots offensive coordinator position. Uh, I saw it was a bit surprising when I saw that. That wow, that's I mean, good for Adrian Klim. Man, that'd be amazing. Even to be in the conversation to be interviewed for one of those jobs is a huge step up. I mean, this this guy is, has really done well for himself over the past couple of years. He was the offensive line coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, came to Oregon as the OL coach last year, coached arguably the number one offensive line in the nation, has done an incredible job recruiting, and now he's in line to be interviewed for the OC position with the New England Patriots, a team he played for and won three Super Bowls with. Um, when he was an offensive lineman with, with Tom Brady, he was the first ever draft pick by Bill Belichick in the NFL. It's just a, a kind of cool stat. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know that he'd get the job. But just like I said, the fact that he's even being interviewed for this position just really impressive and shows shows what a good hire he was. I mean, I don't, I don't want to take credit away from Adrian Clem. He deserves all the credit. But I'm really impressed by Dan Lanning in this. The fact that he saw Adrian with the Steelers and said, hey, I want that guy to come coach my offensive line, help me recruit, and turn around this, not turn around the ship, but keep this ship going. I mean, Mario Cristobal got them a lot of good players to work with, and Clem did a great job of continuing to mold them and, and having a great offensive line with the Ducks. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see how news comes out of that um, when the interview happens and, and see where that goes, but uh, it's really impressive. Good for Adrian Clem. Okay, that's enough football for the day. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back to discuss Oregon's game against Cal on Wednesday night. We are back. It's about 9.15 p.m. on Wednesday night. We just watched Oregon's game against Cal, the absolute beatdown, actually. Uh, Really impressive win for the Ducks. 87-58 is your final score. I say it's really impressive because it was it was the type of game that we expected from Oregon. I mean, they're the talent that Oregon has on their roster uh, going up against a, a team like Cal. This is how you're supposed to play. You know, this is you're supposed to be able to blow them out. Cal was three and fifteen coming into this game, and you know, Oregon they may not be the best team in the conference. We've seen their struggles this year, but coming off that win against Arizona, it was it was a question of you know, how would they show up the next night? How would they how would they make sure that, that win means something going forward? That's I wrote about that after that game on Saturday and that's been my number one question going going into this week of games for Oregon because um yeah that, that win against Arizona was really special. But if you come back and you have an absolute flop like you did against Arizona State, then then it means nothing and your season is still kind of hanging on the brink. And if they lost a you know if they lost to Cal tonight or if they lose to Stanford on Saturday night, the season's pretty much over because those are games that you have to win. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, really impressive game. Will Richardson played really well. Him and Dante, him and Anfali Dante 
both plus 25 in the in the plus minus. Jermaine Kusnar plus 22. Ronald Soros had a really, really good game. <clears throat> I believe he, I think he led the team in scoring with 13 points. He was a plus 21. Um, like I said, I mean, there's there's not a ton to, to talk about with this game because the second half of the game was largely unwatchable. It was, I mean, it was a complete blowout. The final, I think, 16 minutes were, were garbage time. Morgan was up over 20 points at half. So um, they... I just can't stress enough that they really have to keep this going and they really have to to build off of this momentum. There were some some really interesting quotes from Dana Allman after the game that he said that the energy that this team brought tonight, we have to do that 12 more times. If we do that 12 more times, I'll take our chances. And, you know, it was, it was just impressive. He said that they've, they've used up their duds and this is this is what they have to do for, for the game on Saturday. And so going forward, I mean, it's... I look at this team looks any different after tonight than it did going into tonight because yeah they're they're in a stretch of the schedule right now they got had Cal tonight that's a, a must win game but a, a very winnable game they've got Stanford on Saturday night that's the, the exact same thing Stanford comes into the game they're five and twelve right now <clears throat> excuse me that's a, a very beatable team if you're Oregon and you're playing to the level that you can but you know we've seen we've seen this team lose to Utah Valley and UC Irvine and, and teams that you're supposed to beat. So um, it's it's going to be imperative if they go into every game thinking it, it's either win or, or go home because at that point of the season, it, it kind of is that. So, um, you know, you, you get done with that Bay Area trip on Saturday night, hopefully with the win against Stanford. You come back home next week, you host Utah and Colorado, two very tough games, but also winnable games if you're playing to the playing to your potential. But um, I like where this team's at right now. I'm I'm impressed. I was impressed by what I saw tonight. I think that, you know, we've said it a few times this year that they might be clicking. They might be getting it together at the right time. I mean, that's a, a staple of Dana Allman teams as they turn things around in January, start charging forward in February. And, you know, it could be that way this year again. Um, but we'll see. We, we need to see it for a couple more games before I really put um, a lot of confidence in this team going into <clears throat> going into March. So, um, good win. Let's see. Uh, let's see if they can get it done on Saturday night. Okay, that'll do it for another jam-packed episode of Going Long. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to say that I, I personally am having a ton of fun with this. This has been a really fun experience to get this podcast off the ground. I'm really enjoying it, and I hope that listeners are enjoying it as well. I think that um, I think we're putting some really good information out there, and we've we've got a good product going right now. And I hope that. Um, as the, the numbers continue to grow that we see, that we see people agreeing with me. Um, I want to thank you guys so much for listening. We've seen a lot of support and we've seen the download, download numbers go up, um, a lot over the past couple of weeks since launching. And I hope that continues. I again want to thank Matt Zimek for coming on and talking about the PAC 12 schedule release right now. I'm planning to come back early next week and get caught up on, uh, what took place over the weekend. Got a few basketball games, uh, some potential recruiting news. I know there's a lot of recruits in town for Oregon's junior day this weekend. Uh, we're also going to try and get more guests on going forward as well. That'll that'll hopefully start next week. Thank you guys for listening again, following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it at duckswire.usatoday.com or follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. I'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, take it easy.